Good morning, everyone. We're taking back the power. International Women's Day 2019, and uh, yeah, happy solstice. Um, this is the uh, 
the first day of summer, the longest day of the year. It's a day to make your intentions. And, uh, yeah, it's a good day to honor honor women and to support uh, women's rights, human rights, as well as um, safety for for women and girls, particularly um, black women and girls. So, um, so anyway, today we're going to actually rebroadcast our Wednesday show, which uh, was on Juneteenth, um, the National Day of Drumming and Healing. Hopefully folks were uh, remembering the ancestors and um, pouring libations, uh, a libation that continues every day because without our ancestors, we wouldn't be here, right? So um, so anyway, I'm going to get started because we uh, we open with Michael Kubaka Harris, Regional Director, National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, and he's got a lot of great things going on, a lot of more, lot more tours. And so you can um, look at WandasPicks.com under Juneteenth and see where uh, there are going to be some more tours uh, here in California uh, to let folks know about the African contributions to Western development. And Ebony Iman Dallas is um, going to be following uh, the interview with Michael, and she has an artist talk with two other artists at George Gordon Gallery this evening from 7 to 9. George Gordon Gallery is 406 14th Street, downtown Oakland. And um, we're going to re- we're rebroadcasting an interview with uh, Oye Funmike Ogunlano, who plays um, uh, Mona and, um, and Shola, in the film by directed by Holly Jarima Sankofa. And that particular uh, screening at Joyce Gordon Gallery on Wednesday was really phenomenal. Um, great, great discussion. And uh, definitely encourage people to see the film if they haven't seen it already. Alrighty, so here is the, uh, the rebroadcast. And want to mention, um, for those who weren't in the audience at um, Sprint Movement, Last night, um, the opening of um, Nana um, uh, Nana Dafour's um, wonderful, wonderful um, journey uh, through her through an episode of her life, which um, she is uh, a survivor of. It's really, really beautiful work. And um, gosh, I'm trying to think of the name of the location. I am drawing a blank, but you can look up. Sprint Movement is a part of the uh, Queer Arts Move Queer Arts Festival that's continuing um, in various locations throughout the Bay Area. Um, so you can look that up online. But I definitely encourage you to check that out. And um, <clears throat> Rotimi um, has a show opening today at as a part of the Queer Arts Festival at the African American Art and Culture Complex tonight and tomorrow. He's another one of his solo pieces. is a new one. And so it should be really awesome because his work is phenomenal. So there's a lot of great things going on. And at um, um, California Shakespeare, there's a concert tomorrow. And um, and you can get $10 tickets. So uh, you don't want to miss that. It's going to be really, really, really awesome. So go online and visit their website and find out more information about that. If I get a moment, I'll put something on my in my pics. Right now there's nothing there, but you can look it up, Cal, Cal Performances. My Cal performances. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, California Shakespeare. 
Oops. <laughs> Cal Thomas has probably had some good things doing too, but this is California Shakespeare. <laughs> All righty. Enjoy this solstice weekend. Peace and love. Tomorrow we go into battle. So, Lordy, let me fight with the rifle in one hand and good, good book in the other. That if I should die at the muzzle of the rifle, die on water or on land, I may know that you, blessed Jesus Almighty, are with me. And I have no fear. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program with the African Sisters Media Network. And that was um, uh, Prayers of the 54th, uh, necessary from the film Glory, and um, my guest, Michael Kubaka Harris, um, recommended that I play that this morning on Juneteenth, and it's also the uh, day that we are honoring the 400 years of the... Um, Ah, I guess the enslavement of our people. Um, how would you put that, Brother Kubaka? And that's exactly how, how I would put it. And the idea that people of African ancestry uh, endured uh, well over 400 years. That's 400 years when it was within English colony. Um, and the U.S. colored troops well over 200,000 Army and Navy men and women um, fought for our freedom. And the movie Glory is one of the uh, popular uh, representations of that. But it was a very bloody war. Over 650,000 white men died. Over you know, 50,000 
people of African descent died so that we could be free today and uh, recognize Juneteenth for what it is, the recognized day of, of our freedom. Freedom came when the soldiers got to your plantation, and that's when you were free. And in uh, June, on today, June 19th, in 1865, that's when General Gordon Granger, uh, you know, after the island was secured by the 25th Army Corps, U.S. Colored Troops, um, he was able to ride uh, uh, in the town, as they say. He sailed in the town and uh, issue uh, some executive orders uh, that he was given from the president. So today is very special. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah, yeah. And there are going to be a lot of activities happening because today, um, you know, with regards to uh, the 400th anniversary of slavery um, hitting this this neck of the woods, so to speak, um, in August of 1619, um, in uh, the um, uh, I keep on doing saying it wrong. It's not Fort Monroe. It's uh, Point uh, Mon Point Comfort in uh, Fort Monroe now um, National Park. But that's in Virginia, yes. and so there's the uh, the 400 year commission um, that uh, was established um, via the uh, House um, was the HR 1242 um, 400 years of African American History Commission Act. Uh, yes. And uh, so there, yeah. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the significance of um, of this act? And um, and the National Park Service and what's going to be happening in San Francisco this afternoon, early evening, that you are a part of. Well, <laughs> you know, when when the planning of this day happened during Black History Month, there, I mean, things have changed dramatically. I mean, right now, mm -hmm. as we speak, there's a congressional hearing going on, uh, the discussing. Uh, what we're talking about, the subject matter, being uh, the 400 years of enslavement and the infliction that continues to this day. Uh, and Senator Cory Booker, who has a companion bill in the Senate uh, dealing with the study of reparations, uh, shared what happened in his district over the weekend, over Father's Day, you know, with the full moon. And, you know, as we all know, things go down in the full moon because of that energy and how that energy plays out in some of our uh uh, communities where people are tight together, like you're back on a slave ship, uh, there's a lot of pain and affliction and murders and, you know, just traumatic uh, examples that we have to endure today. And so, yes, the 400-year uh, um, commemoration is from sea to shining sea. It's going down uh, at the Presidio. Specifically, there's over 500 uh, Buffalo soldiers that are buried there. It's going to be a tour uh, in the evening, and the uh, Presidio Trust is going to uh, consider how they're going to uh, utilize the National Park Service land there at the Presidio uh, Fort. Uh, uh, hmm, why can't I call? It's a fort part part of the uh, large area there, uh, the last piece of property. Several. Uh, 100 acres that haven't been redeveloped. Um, I'm just drawing a blank there. I used to drill there. Uh, fort Scott is the name of the fort there at uh, Presidio. Oh, okay. uh, 
And so there's, mm-hmm. uh, in the National Cemetery, there's over 500 Buffalo soldiers. vast majority of them fought in the Spanish-American War. Um, and that's just not recognized, the contributions there. And if you go back to 1776, you have enslaved uh, people of African descent that were here under Spanish occupation, and then quite a few more uh, Native Americans that were very uh, dark-skinned and mel- highly melanated folks in the, the Miwok, uh, coastal Miwok, that were lumped in with Africans and enslavement at the Presidio. Hmm. Wow. So are you are you a veteran? Yes, I am. Yeah, I, I serve. Uh, ironically enough, uh, Letterman Hospital uh, at the Presidio uh, is where I did to, uh, my time. I was in the Army Reserves, and I, I fixed medical machines. And, you know, while I was there, I did not – no one told me there were Buffalo soldiers there, and no one told me, you know, who Letterman was. Letterman was a military surgeon. Uh, during the Civil War, and he saved a lot of troops by, you know, figuring out that you got to get that lead out of their bodies before they would die. And so uh, people from the Bay Area and throughout California raised about half a, a million dollars. I'm talking about black folks, in, you know, in, in 1860 uh, to f- help finance the U.S. Sanitary Commission, which today we call the Red Cross, and it was black folks that led the charge to do that. Black folks are out there fighting. U.S. colored troops are out fighting, and they're dying on the battlefield because there wasn't proper medical attention. So, it, I mean, the San Francisco and the California story attached to the gold rush just hasn't been uh, taught well. And in the gold rush era, the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom was uh, established here in California, uh, freeing people from slavery, sending people out here uh, uh, in various capacities to help with the effort, abolitionist effort, and then just buying people out of slavery with gold. Hmm. Wow, wow. Yeah, I was just thinking about how, you know, when you make that that trek from Sacramento to Ocean Beach uh, in October for the Ma'afa commemoration, I mean, you you coming back to your old stumping grounds. I mean, not only are you commemorating um, uh, philosophical, but, you know, real African ancestors of the Middle Passage, um, you're also commemorating those ancestors that are right there buried at the Presidio and, and fellow veterans like yourself. Isn't that amazing? I just find oh, that out now, it's, right? It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's real deep. I mean, for me personally, um, you know, my grandmother, who was born, you know, in, in the sacred uh, valley in you know, Choctaw County, Alabama, the last time I saw her alive was in San Francisco. And when she's buried in Vallejo, and, and my grandfather, mm. when he fought in the, uh, the Vietnam War and before that in the Korean War, I mean, I didn't see him, you know, embark and come back from uh, the, the the theater in the Philippines, but uh, he would leave and come back from San Francisco. So, I mean, for me, uh, I mean, it's a very personal trip. And then also, you know, imagining, you know, as we do when we go to the Ma'afa for, you know, for us for, you know, my God, 20-plus years, 25 years, um, mm-hmm, imagining yeah. the same voyage that our ancestors took, you know, uh, from the various 
dungeons, castles along the coast of West and South, uh, Southern, Western Africa, uh, here to the Americas. And then slavery in California just is not talked about. We're, we're just beginning uh, to peel that uh, layer back um, and, and deal with it uh, so we can go forward. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. So, so were you were you raised in Sacramento or raised in 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 San Francisco? I was born at McClellan Air Force Base in Sacramento, and I spent uh, you know mm-hmm. most of my uh, uh, childhood in Sacramento. That uh, okay. I had two sets of grandparents and, and a whole host of extended family throughout the Bay Area, centered in Vallejo. Uh, my uh, parents met at Vallejo High School. Uh, my mom from mm-hmm. Alabama, my father from Louisiana. Uh, both mm-hmm. of them steeped with, you know, ancient Native American tradition and ancient African tradition that they didn't talk about much. But it came out as I got older, and you know, I kind of got uh, just who I am and what my experiences have been and what I was exposed to, kind of like, you know, stuck in learning all this stuff. And blessed with learning this history, so I know it very well. You know, where we come from, mm-hmm. the responsibility in that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You you really do know a, a lot, and you're going to be leading a lot of tours and giving a lot of talks. <laughs> um, uh, this, um, I guess, uh, for the rest of this month throughout um, uh, the. Um, Sacramento kind of area, not to mention, you know, tonight um, or this afternoon um, over at the Presidio in San Francisco. Um, and uh, could you talk about the uh, the Underground Railroad um, project that, um, I don't know if there's a terminus at the, uh, the Presidio, but you gave us um, uh, a brochure at the Libations for the Ancestors earlier this month. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and and give people, if there's a a website, I know the website for, um, you know, your work as Regional Director of the National Juneteenth Observance Foundation, that's uh, njof.org, people can go there. But I was wondering about the other other work that, um, that you're involved in. And also if you could tell people where you're going to be giving these tours because it looks really interesting because, you know, people don't think about, you know, Folsom, the city, um, was established by a black man. I mean, now people just know it for the prison. Uh, yeah, and he actually swindled um, uh, Leondorf's um, mother out of her inheritance. Um, and, he, you know, he took a lot of, a lot of, I know people might not even know Leondorf, so you can mention that too. I'm not like an expert on the history like you. But <laughs> I can drop a few names, <laughs> right? Well, it's it's all it's all intertwined and connected. So, um, the national director of the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom, that's at the Harriet Tubman, based at the Harriet Tubman Visitor Center in in Maryland. So that's that's the best place to start is the National Underground Railroad Network of Freedom. And each state has locations that are designated by the National Park Service, part of the Interior Department, uh, federal government. And there is real clear the process on getting uh, 
recognized. Here in California, hasn't been much energy, hasn't been much focus in that, simply because the history of California is not taught in schools. Um, slavery in California certainly is not discussed. So, you know, it seems natural to say that there's no need for an underground railroad network to freedom in California since there's no slavery here. But none of that's true. And so um, people of African descent were brought here uh, when folks were in the gold rush era. And ironically, in 1860, uh, the election for president, Abraham Lincoln, only won the vote in California by 711 votes. So it was like 49% wanted slavery here, wanted a president that embraced slavery, and 51% um, wanted people to be free and everybody, uh, you know, be equal. Unfortunately, people of African descent, and if you go into the California Constitution Convention, are not citizens, cannot vote, can't testify in court against white men. I mean, there's a whole host of black codes that were put in place in California. And against that backdrop, uh, people of African descent had underground networks of freedom, getting people out of slavery here in California. Uh, militarily, sometimes, uh, purchasing people. And other times, I mean, I mean, we're talking about a lot of people. We're not talking about one or two locations. We're talking about the entire state of California, uh, L.A., throughout the Central Valley, in the Bay Area, uh, in Sacramento, of course, throughout the gold mining district. People were enslaved and worked in that cold water. Uh, in some cases, they were able to purchase their freedom. In other cases, they just had to wait till the Civil War was over. So there's, there's uh, spots along that Underground Railroad network of freedom. And in San Francisco in particular, uh, you have the bedrock of our communities, the AME Church, the AME Zion Church, and the African Baptist Church um, that were uh, the, I guess you would say, the foundation and undergirth the uh, freedom movement in California. And the folks in San Francisco, where the money was, the hard work was in the mining district to get the gold and get the money and the wherewithal. But the spiritual leaders were ministers, were uh, educators, uh, men and women that uh, in many cases were sent out here to do so, uh, be leaders, because they were leading the cause in New Bedford, Massachusetts, uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, New York, um, and then places where they were able to escape enslavement um, throughout the South. And they came to California and, I mean, you know, you're able to express yourself in different ways here. Hmm. Wow. So in, yeah. in terms of tours, so, uh, when I get off the yeah. phone here, I'm going to jump in the shower and head, uh, watch a little <laughs> bit more of the hearing and jump to go to the state capitol. And we have uh, Juneteenth at the capitol. We're going to go into the Civil War Grove, um, and we're going to talk about uh, how we ignite the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom here in, in, in the Central Valley. And then uh, later this afternoon, we'll head towards the Bay Area and be able to participate, uh, get, get an update on the Presidio action. And uh, later on, 
this month, and we still have stops in, in Folsom, Juneteenth on the 29th. We have stops uh, this weekend in the Bay Area. Um, we're going to engage the ambassador for uh, Ethiopia and see how we can have um, the African Union recognize Juneteenth in a, in a bigger, more serious way. Because people of African mm-hmm. descent left Africa and were enslaved here, uh, not just in America, but throughout the, the Western Hemisphere. I mean, more mm-hmm. Africans were enslaved in Brazil than they were in the United States. And uh, we have a role and responsibility to make that clear, because just as we're recognizing it here uh, in, in the United States, um, throughout the Caribbean, throughout Central America, there's a lot of enslavement, and it has not been recognized. They don't have the kind of political power that we do uh, to have the Congress recognize it and then have a commission to study. But it, it should we uh, embrace our responsibility in the sixth region of the African Union, take that serious. And what I mean is the, the African Union is one block, and here in the Western Hemisphere, we're the sixth region. And uh, we have a role and responsibility to, you know, take that serious and do the work to honor our ancestors and the elders that are still with us, our esteemed elders that are still with us, that you know pointed the direction uh, uh, for the work that we should do. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And um, in um, in Oakland, California, we're going to be uh, screening the film um, tonight. Uh, Sankofa, um, 1993 classic, directed by Haile Jarima. And uh, we're also going to be singing and we're going to be saying some prayers in in African language. It's going to have some refreshments. Um, And uh, it's going to be a free event at Joyce Gordon Gallery, um, uh, 406 14th Street in in downtown Oakland. And um, uh, we're going to be making, if people come a little early, we're going to be making some percussion instruments because... Uh, it's a national day of um, of drumming um, as well as uh, healing. And so um, if people know the film Sankofa, it starts with this wonderful gun, um, not gun, but um, drumming, uh, right there on the uh, outside of Elmina uh, slave, slave Dungeon. And uh, as you know the story, it sort of takes us back in time, um, which is really, really great, and then brings us to the present because um, the um, the drummer, the master drummer, he tells the woman on the beach, um, Oye Funmike, uh, Ogunlano's character, Mona, that she needs to remember um, who she yeah. is, you know, remember her African ancestors, and she's, you know, she's a, a model and enjoying the sand, but not really enjoying the people because she doesn't recognize that these people are her people, and uh, and so um, she ends up um, taking a journey, um, and and that's what Sankofa means. It means to to go back and fetch it, um, to go back and reflect on our history, and reflect on his, the historic, um, traumatic journey that our ancestors, our great ancestors, made. And and the survival of of this horror called you know uh, chattel slavery and you know like you said earlier you know the treatment the maafa the calamities you know still exist 
uh, in the present, and that's why we call it Ma'afa because it's, it's bigger than a Holocaust because it's continuing. And but Sankofa can help us, um, you know, remembering our ancestors can help us stop, you know, this Ma'afa from continuing, particularly by our own hands, and we can heal, you know, this rift, um, which. Uh, definitely has an economic component of it. So these these hearings that you are um, watching presently, they're probably going to be archived, right? And people can go back and watch them later. How how do they access that? Yeah, it's, um, I was accessing it live on C-SPAN, and so I'm certain they'll be oh, archived. Okay. And then there's, okay. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so much activity after the hearings today. There's going to be uh, additional. Uh, uh, I will say a symposium, additional uh, conversations at the AME Zion Church in Washington, D.C., uh, and that mm-hmm. that will be something to review as well. And, you know, we all know and love Danny Glover. Uh, he'll be there representing very well the, the historical legacy of the first uh, school of African studies uh, in San Francisco and being a son of the West. Uh, he's very knowledgeable in, in, in our journey. And so the West Coast will have uh, strong representation uh, at these hearings, uh, as well as, you know, our sisters um, that are there, uh, Barbara Lee, um, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Karen Bass, who chairs the Black Caucus, and um, uh, our queen sister, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, who chairs the financial services committee that will have something to say on how the money is being allocated for the study. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings. This is not just looking for a check. You know, there is uh, restorative justice that happens uh, for everyone else, and it's going to happen for people of African descent. But the way Congress works, you have to have uh, on the record. Um, what the egregious acts were, and then uh, you, you have a uh, body that looks at it and then decides you know, these are the actions we're going to take. It's the regular order of business in Congress, and that's the, we've never been part of the regular order of business in Congress uh, on the side of dealing with what happened during slavery. We've always been on, hey, look, this is the affliction, and you, this is enslavement. Mm-hmm. And so that's the American mm-hmm. story. And then so to be extremely uh, balanced and fair is that we, we, ha- we haven't done a good job of really showcasing and highlighting uh, the African civilization, the grandeur and glory, the millions of years of civilization that we've had uh, that was taken from us. Because all we've known is enslavement and affliction on this land. So that's pretty much what we talk about. But who we are, what flows in our bloodstream, uh, is just the creation of humanity on the planet. We can go back to the oldest human beings with the brain case of modern man, and that's, that's our family. That's what's in our bloodstream. And because of you know, this enslavement and affliction, we don't recognize you know, us being a part of you know, creating agricultural industries, building you know, sacred cities throughout the African diaspora here in the United States, uh, I would say the Americas, you know, the oldest document civilization in the Americas uh, is, you know, on the Mississippi. 
the Washita Nation, and you know the, the base of the pyramid in on the Mississippi River are just are larger than the base of the pyramid in uh, ancient Kemet because of the, the material that they had to use to carry that weight. You had to be a little bit broader at the base, and so it's made out of you know uh, just natural organic materials. It's not made out of stone as you had that material uh, in the Nile Valley. So anyway, the, 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 the concept that we have uh, this enslavement and affliction, yes, but if we measure it against what we were taken from, uh, it would be no discussion on whether we need uh, serious consideration for reparations. But often in the conversation, you know, people are focused on, I want to check somebody owe me. And that's just, you know, it, it's a childlike conversation. You have to be able to say, well, what, what did you lose? Uh, were you, in fact, in the class that were harmed? Um, and how can you prove that? You know, you, you don't even know who your great-grandmother is, but you want to check for what her mother endured. So, I mean, it just makes no sense. But uh, that's part of the challenge we have. <laughs> uh, wow, yeah <clears throat> I I was just thinking um, I was looking at um, A text that I got yesterday From uh, from my friend uh, Abona Conke and, and she asked me She says, greetings Wanda Did you know that the Civil Rights Subcommittee Has no African, no Americans Descendants of slavery um, Sheila Jackson Lee Is the only African of first generation Jamaican, which excludes her From U.S. reparations And she isn't Posing monetary compensation. What does uh, what does that mean? Well, I mean, it's it's a fair question, but I mean, it presupposes that there's somebody else that has seniority that could even be on that committee. If, if you're if you're uh, not familiar with the U.S. House of Representatives and how it operates and functions, and who are the members of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, in, in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking of two African Americans uh, on the committee, if I'm thinking right. Um, Representative Green and Representative Lee, I believe, are on that committee. I, I got it. I mean, I'm just thinking. So there's no, there's no other African American. So I mean, you know, that that's discernible. And the man who chairs mm -hmm. the committee, uh, who represent a black district, uh, uh, it's a Jewish gentleman named Cohen, who's a congressman representing Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, you, you could get upset, you could, you know, point the finger. The reality is, uh, you know, we're, we're roughly 10% of the U.S. House of Representatives. You know, 10% is not going to get you everywhere and every subcommittee. It's just physically impossible. So what can get us in all the committees is having the primary source documentation and actually participating and being a uh, – a person that has standing that can get and testify at the hearing. You don't have to be a, a, a black person to have the uh, information and the documentation to present in an official capacity so that it can be officially taken up on the floor of the House. You, you can't just, you know, holler and scream in California that they need to do this and they need to do that and they need to do this. You have to either physically get on the plane and go yourself or you have to have somebody represent you in the House of Representatives. And so I would, mm -hmm. you know, whoever it is, I would, you know, uh, get with some people 
and call down to your representative. Barbara Lee is the perfect person. Uh, and then uh, make your uh, written statements and verbal statements known so they can be part of the record and you, we can weigh in. Because, I mean, we did the same, a similar conversation with the Black Farmer um, uh, class action lawsuit case. And, you know, it took 30 years. And thankfully, I was just there for the last five years, so I didn't have a lot of the, the pent-up frustration and, uh, you know, just tired, being tired, tired of going there, spending your money and, you know, uh, your own black people is some of your biggest enemies because they want, and I'm saying enemies in the sense that they don't understand the process and they're not helping and they're not supporting you uh, get through the process. So that's the same thing with reparation. You finally get there. We finally have a hearing. Uh, John Conyers is no longer there. He spent, you know, God knows how many years uh, with the case and just didn't get the kind of support he should have had. And now that we have hearings going on, now that we have, you know, a lot of uh, assistance from a lot of angles, we have a greatest dissension I've ever seen in the reparation movement amongst black people. We don't want people from the Caribbean that were enslaved a part of it. We don't want people from Central America a part of it. We, we you know, it's just for black folks in America. <laughs> and, you know, you can't even, you don't even know your own personal genealogy. It's, it's part of it is just ignorance. Part of it, I want a check, and then you can't even pr prove your position to get a check, you know. And there, and some of these people are speaking the loudest, and they're paid in some cases to do so. Uh, th that we're finding out, but the reality is, we've been enslaved and afflicted, and it's right out of their Bible, the King James Version of the Bible, uh, Genesis 15, chapter 12 to 14, verse, and. Um, there is judgment that is taking place, and we can see it. But some of the judgment is on us because, I mean, there, the God, the creator, you know, the things that we hold dear uh, has to be just. You know, no different than this week. Uh, full moon for Father's Day. Uh, Juneteenth is here. Summer solstice is here. And some of us still celebrate the ancient African New Year's Day when the sun shines into the pyramid at the geographical center of the Earth's landmass. And so we know because we've been taught, but a lot of us have been taught and don't know and will fight us tooth and nail to say that the, the, the pyramid that gives the plateau is the center of the earth, and that's how we quantify time on planet earth. They'll fight us to death because they've been taught that it was that the white folks created that, and it's, it's in England. It's Greenwich, Greenwich time is in England, and the white folks did that. And how dare you? contradict what I was, I have a PhD, how dare you contradict what I learned in the white folks' institutions of higher learning. And so we're going to have that challenge here in the West. Right, yeah. Wow. Well, it's been really wonderful speaking to you, um, Kabaka. Um, yeah, I am looking forward to um, having you join us again and, and talk about what happened um, this evening, and just sort of reflect on on you know this moment in in uh, American history, um, you know where our ancestors are are the focus, and taking you know sort of um, the national national attention maybe because it's people are trying to 
you know, become that 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 person who is the uh, uh, the nominee for their party. Um, <laughs> uh, but whatever the reasoning, um, it's uh, it's it's good, you know, um, that um, today and maybe for the rest of the month, but definitely today um, and prior to today, um, you know, um, people are lifting up the names of African ancestors and and talking That's about right. freedom, you know, as those brothers did. And that clip that we showed of the that we showed <laughs> that's funny as we heard well, from yeah, that film, yeah, yeah. Laurie. It's a video. <laughs> it's not the movie. Uh, but you're 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 absolutely right. And and, and those soldiers um, that fought for our freedom. I mean, they. I mean, can you imagine leaving California and putting on a a, a, a uniform and fighting in the Massachusetts 54th? Well, that that's what folks in California did. And, and you know, we just we haven't given that enough uh, respect. And knowing that for 300 years people were enslaved in California, well, this was Spain, you know. So you know, mm-hmm. all you want is money from England for what happened in the 13 colonies way over on the East Coast. And you live in California, you know, 300 years of Spanish enslavement. You forget that. Or, you, or you're from uh, Louisiana and it was French. That was a you know yeah. the slave yeah. master, or you from you know the, the northern part of California, and Russian was your slave master, and so you know I, I just having source documentation and information, it, you just shake your head and say, well you know I go and do what you're gonna do, but you're not gonna be successful if you're not. It's just like if you get in an accident and you say that I wasn't at fault, but you had no insurance and you don't have a driver's license, and you say, I wasn't at fault. You know, when you get to court, it's going to be a different story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I also want to let our audience know that uh, in the Sacramento Observer, uh, sacobserver.com, um, June 6, uh, this year, 2019, there was a really, really wonderful article um, by um, uh, John Templeton uh, entitled The Victory of Black Courage and Patriotism, which sort of looks at some of this history that you're speaking of right now, uh, Kabaka. And so I want to let people yes. know about that article so they can go read it. And the Sacramento Observer is, is a, uh, a black newspaper, an a-, a newspaper published um, by African Americans for people of African descent. So I want to let people know about that. Um, we have our, our next guest um, in the studio. She's been patiently waiting, uh, Ebony John <laughs> Dallas. Um, yeah, Ebony, I don't know if you want to say hello to Brother Kubaka because, um, you know, you're coming to visit us from Oklahoma City with this wonderful exhibit oh, wow. um, at George Gordon Gallery. And, uh, and you've got a fabulous story of sort of, you know, being of African and African American heritage recently <laughs> and and making your way back home to learn more about your your uh, Somaliland ancestor, your dad. Yeah, yeah, thank you all. Thank you for having me and it's been I've just enjoyed listening to you all, so <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Yes, welcome. So Kabaka? <laughs> yes. Thank you. Okay, I'm I'm sliding out. Peace and blessings. Okay. 
Peace and blessings. Have a good, Have a good full day. <laughs> Representing us. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, your your exhibit. Oh my goodness. Um, through uh, is it Abahe? How do you pronounce it? It's um through Abahe's eyes, which translates to okay. Uh, so Abahai means my father. So I have. So it's okay. like through my father's eyes. Mhm. Yeah. What language? Uh, Somali. Yeah. So um, Abahai. It's like it's actually. I was telling them the other day. Um, it's almost. It's kind of like Spanglish. So I mixed a little bit of English with Somali, but Abahai by itself means my father. So I added the apostrophe mm-hmm. s and just kind of. Um, yeah, so it's through Abahai's eyes, so through my father's eyes. Mhm. Ah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read read your bio and I wanna let our audience know that uh your exhibit, um, through Abahai's eyes, um, is up at Joyce Gordon Gallery, uh, again, four oh six fourteenth Street in Oakland, downtown Oakland. Same location as the film tonight and um conversation uh, about our ancestors. We're going to see the film Sankofa. So same venue. And this Friday, the 21st, which might be um, the solstice, depending on sort of where the sun is sitting, but it's it's this weekend. <laughs> Cause this is oh, wow. Kind of, you know, it's going to be the first, first day of summer. Um, so it's going to oh, be yeah, the 20th, yeah. 21st, 22nd. It's this weekend, folks. So really wonderful to be able to celebrate that with, with Ebony because she's going to be giving an artist talk from 7 to 9, and you'll be able to walk through all this wonderful memory work, um, really big, beautiful portraits with, you know, her father's eyes coming out of her face, and then her father, (laughs) I really love the the one with your father holding you. That's really, really Mm -hmm. beautiful. Um, It was just perfect for Father's Day. I think this is a real perfect Father's Day exhibit. And every day is Father's Day, so even if you didn't see it yet, it's just like perfect because it's about father loss, even though you, you're blessed to have two fathers, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got your yeah, biological father whom you just met, you know, um, you know, and really met through this, this work of 15 years of meeting your family. You know, instead of it being, you know, more intuitive, now you have an actual, you have actual people and you've touched people and, They've touched you, you know, tangibly, like with your hands and hugs and kisses and tears and all that. And then you've got, you know, the father that raised you and your mom, of course. But since we're talking about dads, you know, a lot of times, um, a lot, not much attention. I don't think enough attention is paid to how much girls need their dads, right? And women oh, yeah. need their fathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, definitely. So anyway, yeah, so. Back to your bio. <laughs> Ebony Montalvis is an award-winning artist, writer, and founder of Africa Nation Artist Organization, which people might remember because uh, when did you start that? Because it's been around a while now. It has been a while. Um, in 2010, it was founded, um, but mm-hmm. really my time spent as a, you know, because I was living here at the time, living in the Bay Area, <clears throat> and would go back and forth between, you know, between the Bay and um, and Hergesa, which is where my father's side is from, uh, which is, you know, the Somaliland area. So Somaliland, um, 
and a lot of the world knows it as, you know, it's Somalia. So, um, but, you know, my time at, I was a student at California College of the Arts when a lot of it, you know, when I was doing a lot of research and um, an African nation was, you know, pretty much formed in that time, but then continued in, in you know, an even broader way um, once I graduated. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and I, I didn't know African you were at. Nations. Yeah, and I didn't even know you were at CCA. Um, <laughs> what What year did you finish there? Yeah, I graduated in two thousand nine um, with an MFA in design, but like my whole thesis ended up being about the arts. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was like <laughs> design and art and ways that art and design could be uh, could be used to bridge divisions um, amongst African descendants um, here in the U.S., so whether you're Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Latino, you know, um, you know, African-American, it's, you know, all of that, just bringing people together through art for community activism, and so that's when you and I met, you know, that's probably around the time that you and I met, and and we were able to work together in some ways, which was really, really cool, and it's great to reconnect, <laughs> after all this time. <laughs> right, yeah, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the imagery that that defines a people, um, you know, continu- you know, specifically people of African descent, um, a lot of that imagery is, is, um, is negative. And, yeah. and then you think about sort of the impact of those images on our psyche, um, and, and you know, which which comes out through our bodies, right? You know, what we think affects how we act, and yeah. and then so you know, as a person, you know, whose scholarship is in design and image, um, and then you make images, so you you know, we can sort of counter, you know, the dominant narrative of 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 this this distasteful um, marketing campaign, so to speak, of our people. And it's not just Definitely. the United States, it's, it's, it's Western, it's like global. It's just like every time you turn around, like there's one of those images. Um, uh, and, and most of the time, actually all the time, you know, when they're not steeped in, um, like the people who are making the images are not the people. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. For the oh, most part, it's usually not. propaganda. Yeah. yeah. Slander. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is really yeah, what, I, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no! I was gonna say, I, um, what originally brought me to to the Bay Area was working in advertising. So that was mm-hmm. kind of what brought me here was a, was working in advertising, and you really see. <laughs> I mean, it, advertising turned out not to be my thing, but um, mm-hmm. but definitely you you learn like companies they don't you know they don't care about um, you know they care about selling their product. And they're going to do that by whatever means it takes to do that. So, um, you know, the kind of images that are, seem to be popular or more accepted or acceptable, um, you know, that kind of – that dictates what they put out there. And, I, you know, that was that was pretty much the baseline for that and wasn't really something I wanted to continue to be a part of. Mhm. Yeah, but but it was good yeah. that you had that that you know knowledge because then you know your your work is more purposeful because you your images, your pictures, your paintings 
um, your drawings, oh, man, it's just when you walk into Joyce Gordon Gallery, you just feel like a warm embrace. <laughs> it's just like wow, so beautiful. It's just like you step off, you step off the block for a moment into a whole nother world. I mean, you know, the poster, you know, with with your beautiful face. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> oh, who is that? You know, what is that? Is that a person or is that a goddess or who? What? Oh, you know, wow. it's just so fantastical. But we know that it's real because it doesn't look like otherworldly but it does have mm-hmm. that otherworldly kind of effect because it's, mm-hmm. it's happiness. When you walk in, you just feel really light and happy because the colors. And then the other two wonderful artists that are, are also um, pictured in you know in the rear of the gallery, I mean, you all work so well together, <laughs> all three of you. Yeah. It's just oh, a yes, really well-done um, uh, exhibit. Yeah, that's uh, Kalima Amilak, and I hope I'm not pr- mispronouncing um um, her name at all, um, and Zoe Boston. They have uh, mm-hmm. works that are called, uh, their show is titled New Works, and so we'll all mm-hmm. be on the Artist Talk panel, which is wonderful. I look forward to oh, really? to, oh, you okay. know, to the whole discussion. Yeah, yeah, we'll all be up there together, so that's exciting. Oh. Yeah, they oh, do nice, have a lot nice. of wonderful work in there, too. Oh, okay, yeah, I thought you were going to fill the whole two hours all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thankful that I do. I was like, whoa, you got to be talking really, to us so long. They're really probably showing relieved. us some movies and things because oh, yeah. you have them. <laughs> I mean, you oh, my God. You should go work. You wish you go to your website. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to, to keep it up. Um, but, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. thankful to be on the panel with them. So, you know, mm-hmm. it'll. I'm sure it's going to be a lively conversation, and I hope everybody comes out. It'll be It'll be good. Oh. Yeah, yeah, particularly, you know, if it's one of those um, uh, once-in-a-year um, um, sort of uh, earth-centered moments, um, you know, solar moments, um, like mm. like the equinox, you know, you can sort of let go of what's, what's, what's you know, what's uh, not serving yourself or not serving us as a community and, and, you know, and take on some new things. And if you don't know what, then you can look around the gallery and read something that Ebony wrote because your, your <laughs> memoir is is the text, and each one is like a meditation. It's like, okay. And then, you know, the other artists, too, similarly, they have great titles, and you could just sort of sit and just look at the landscape that is the work and just meditate on that. So if you don't know where to go <laughs> so far as your life yeah. or your spirit and you need to figure it out, Art, you know, particularly art that's coming from a place of love for our people, is the best place to situate yourself. So you can go early and just hang out because the gallery is open a lot earlier than six. <laughs> I think it's open at. Mm-hmm. Trying to think, is it open? What time? Eleven? I think it's open at ten. I think it's open ten. Yeah, it's open yeah, early. Ten to six mm-hmm. every yeah, day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you I can think get Wednesday through six. Saturday. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah that's right. <laughs> Yeah, so, and I like what yeah. you were saying just about the about the journey of it, and I think um, the show or the body of work through Abahai's eyes is is all about this journey, and it's from a you know place of pain and healing and joy, and and it's just kind of going through the process over the years that I've 
as I've gone through it virtually, because the first painting um, or the oldest painting uh, in the show is is a painting that I did back in college. So back in 2003, um, just before I met my family. Um, and just, I guess I'll give just a quick brief about the show. Um, so the show just kind of takes you through, you know, it's called Through Abahai's Eyes, and it's, um, it is sort of an ode to my father, or it's a story about my father's life, about my life. Um, my biological father, Saeed Asman, came to the U.S. from, um, from Hergesa, or, well, actually, yeah, so anyways, he came to the United States from Somalia back in the 70s and came as a student um, to Oklahoma, and he was killed by police officers before I was born, so when I, my mom was just about three months pregnant with me, um, and so there's, you know, I don't, you know, I probably won't go into all the details about his death because there's still a lot of stuff to find out and stuff that I'm learning, but um but basically, we were told he committed suicide, but I've learned since that that's not true. And so this is just going through that that process of, you know, as a kid thinking, you know, going from, oh, because I always heard two stories, either my father committed suicide or he was killed by police officers. Um, as a little kid, I chose to believe he was killed by police officers because who wants to believe their parent would do that, knowing that you were on the way? Um, and then as I got a little bit older, I started to believe, you know, maybe high school-ish or whatever, I started to believe the other story because that's the story that my mother believed. And so um, just kind of takes you through that process, the process of just wanting to know my, that side of the family because my mom and his family lost touch when I was, you know, about three years old. You know, people moved. My mom got married. They moved. My uncle, who was their primary contact, he moved, and they just lost touch. And um, then after coming here to the Bay um, just after college, like literally two weeks after graduation, I was here. <laughs> Um, about two months after moving here, I met a man named Hakeem who knew my entire family and knew that they were looking for me. And so, so that the show is about, it's about loss. It's about, you know, it's about searching for, you know, cause I always wanted to know that side. Um, and I always searched through art, so I would paint images of Somalia, paint images of Africa in general, and um, as a way of just searching. And so it kind of, my paintings even start there and then go into, you know, once I did get to know my family and once I was at a place where I was ready to know more about my father because for so long I was angry with him. Um, and so it's about that whole journey. Um, and um, and then the excerpts from the memoir just take people through that process as well. And I just selected pieces that, um, in the artwork and the writing, inspire each other. <laughs> in a lot of ways, I couldn't have written um, what I wrote without painting because a lot of times I didn't have the words to express the feelings that I had. So I would draw or I would paint, and then it would sort of come out in, in a flood in a way. Um, so that you know, they kind of worked in tandem. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly, and that's that's really beautiful. You know, when when you're a writer, you're able to, um, you know, to create your own your own text. Um, but then others, you know, can can be so inspired. And so again, you know, back to how, um, you know, your work uh, could actually act as as a healing kind of, yeah. um, I guess, or meditation for people that are maybe struggling with, you know, things around their own ancestry, their own heritage, their own relationships with their parents, fathers, grandmothers, mm-hmm. uncles, but particularly fathers, um, could could let your, your work um, in, inspire them to go deeper into those areas where maybe they might not want to explore, but your work could hold them. Like I said, when you walk in, um, you know, there there is um, there is loss, there is pain, but your work it's it's like a cycle, the way that mm. it's, it's it's a you know that you tell the story, because um, you know you actually were were able to like process this. I mean, you know, as a young girl not knowing and having these two versions of how your father died, and then as an adult, physically as you you know you're already painting, so there's already a physicality to you know your um, I guess your processing of the work. Of, I mean, other stories, but then you actually, you actually physically go to these places, like you touch the the, the soil, you know, you eat the food. Oh yeah. You, you smell the air. Like there's a whole another tangible kind of reality, right? That happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, you talk definitely. About, talk about that first visit to, to Somaliland and and who you met and. Um, oh my God. Tell us what you listened to, what you were hearing at the club where you met Hakeem. Like, what was the music playing? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a hip-hop club in San Francisco. I think it was called New okay. Vibe. I'm sure it's closed by now. Um, <laughs> but uh, the song, honestly, the song that I, I remember, or at least in my mind I think I remember, is Usher. <laughs> Singing, <Really>? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um so yeah, my so that night it's it's really oh man, I I had at that point just given up on the idea of finding my family. So mm. I you know, just before graduation because I thought, you know, every every graduation, high school, you know, my undergrad and and then up to grad school like well, okay, high school and undergrad anyway, I just remember thinking I want all three sides of my family there. I'm so ble- I'm so thankful um, that I have three wonderful families. My mom, we have a big, wonderful family there. My dad who raised me, Wayne, he, you know, big, wonderful family, supportive family there. And now that I know my biological, fa- you know, father's family and that side or my family, um, it's, you know, wonderful as well. But that day, um, but basically, I remember I just graduated and I sent my last letter because I wrote Oprah trying to find my family and, um, you know, didn't hear back and was just like, I mean, I just didn't know what to do and I didn't have money to like hire people and I wouldn't even know where to start looking, honestly. Um, But anyhow, so my sister and I, we were like, you know, ready to go out that night and, um, and we were just about to cross the bridge over into San Francisco, 
and she realized she left her ID at home. So we had to cross the bridge, got back to Oakland. You know, we're tired, not really feeling like going. And then we just decided, you know what, let's just go ahead and go. Like, what are we going to do Just sit here at the house? So we, we went. By the time we got there, it cost. You know, it was, you know, we're from Oklahoma. We don't pay $20 to get into any club. <laughs> but, I mean, nowadays, yeah, but back then it was like, nah. So we had to, you know, we just decided let's just go ahead and, and pay it, even though we were still kind of iffy about going in. Went ahead, and um, this guy stopped my sister, and um, his friend was just standing there. And so whenever I would meet a person that looks Somali, then I would just mm-hmm. like start a conversation, tell them, tell them my whole family story, just in case they knew something. So I just said, you know, hey, um, where are you from? And he said, East Africa. I was like, oh, okay. Well, my father's from Somalia. And he was like, really? Well, I'm from Somalia. And then um, mm-hmm. he said, um, he was like, I was like, oh, okay. And then he says, well, where's your father at now? And I said, he died before I was born. And then he was like, well, where are you from? And I said, Oklahoma. And he just said, I know your family. Just like that. And mm-hmm. I, and you know, I thought, yeah, right. Because that's actually happened to me before where when it was a mm-hmm. Somali classmate in college, he said that he knew someone in one of my family photos and he was going to link us up and it just never happened. So I was like, yeah, right. And he said, no, your father, he was there for school, right? And I said, yes. Hmm. And then he said, and when he died, he was in his dorm room. And when he said that, like, you know, I realized, you know, it's like, who wouldn't know that information? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I just immediately started to cry. Um, And then I just said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, what was his name? And he stood there for a second, thought about it. And then he said, Saeed. And so mm-hmm. at that point, wow. we just both, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's so, but it happened. <laughs> um, and so mm-hmm. we, we embraced. He he told me, you know, we're just crying. And he's just like, look, um, you have an aunt that lives in D.C., and I'm going to um, put you in contact with her. We exchanged information and went our separate ways. And, um, mm-hmm. and true to his word, he put me in touch with my aunt, um, uh, Hibak, who lived in D.C. at the time, and and it was just been open since then. It's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that is amazing. Wow. So you you said you remember that Usher was singing. Um, do you remember the song? I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I think it was yeah, yeah. The song yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like wow, isn't that? I mean, I cannot yeah. sing. <laughs> But that was the song. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Yeah. Wow, was that I like? Was, it was I mean, like song. you know, at least it was playing that night. Um, I'm pretty right. sure that's the song. Oh, that's amazing! Because yeah. I'm just thinking about the affirmation. You know, you went there. Oh, right. You always ask the question. Yes. You know, yeah or yes. Um, you know, who cares oh, what the yeah. rest of it is? But that's important, right? That's what I'm hearing. Wow. And then that's guess what? I just went to see um, Shaft. Um, last night, and Usher is is playing the third generation, right? You got Richard Roundtree, oh, you got Samuel Jackson, and you have Usher. And wow. what you do, girl, because you know what else? It's about father loss. Oh wow! He, his father, the last time well, he doesn't remember because he was a baby, but 
um, he was not raised by his dad because mm-hmm. his mother felt it was too dangerous for him to be, because uh, his father, you know, was a detective, you know, for the, um, I guess, New York Police um, Department or whatever, and, um, um, and and you know, he, he was involved in, you know, doing some serious work around around keeping our community safe and fighting, you know, for this to happen. And, um, yeah, and so his wife said, you know, after one more shoot up, shootout where the baby, you know, was in the car, like, no, we, we're going to, if you have to continue doing this, we're going to have to leave because he, you know, the child was in the car when they got riddled with oh bullets. I mean, it's amazing that the little baby with two little teeth was smiling at his dad when he turned around and looked at him. So, yeah, and so fast forward, we meet, you know, uh, J.J., you know, John Schaff, Jr., <laughs> who is who is just finished at MIT and is working for the FBI, and he needs his dad's help, so he goes and looks him up. Wow. It's crazy fun. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that out. Um, and the last, <laughs> what's it called, the last black man in San Francisco, Oh, I have yeah. plans to go that watch already? that too. <laughs> I'm gonna no, oh, I have yeah, plans. My cousin and I are gonna go. Okay. Yeah. 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 They have a. Do they have a? They have a free screening. I think they have a free screening today. I'll, I'll send you the information. Oh, please I think do. A free, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a free screening. Actually, let me look it up while we talk. Um. So, um, making our way through your bio. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're still we're still doing that. Um. I uh, and then I also want you to um, talk about actually before we do that, um, talk about because I I gave you two questions in one. So you told us about oh, yeah. Hakeem, and and wow, that is <coughs> you know that was definitely destiny, right? I mean, I just oh feel and you probably do too how you know that you have your dad's eyes, and when we meet him in the gallery, he has sunglasses on. So in order to see his eyes, we have to look at you. And that's one aspect mm-hmm. of the art of the of the the portraits is that we notice your eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, so I'm just wondering. So, tell us about um, you know going to Somaliland or meeting your aunt auntie in D.C. and and mm-hmm. where that went and and what about when you first got home? Because you write about it in your memoirs. We're making our way through the gallery, and I noticed in some photographs, I saw some people I know uh, at the reception, um, I guess, uh, was it last week or the week before last? Uh, it was yeah, the first it's Friday flying by, actually. Yeah, so two weeks Isn't that crazy? Two weeks yeah. ago this Friday. Two weeks it ago now. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, you know, it, it's it's just your writing is so wonderful, and I'm like, oh, I'm so happy oh they're writing with the book, with all the art. I'm so looking forward to um to your book and, and, and let me make the announcement that you're looking for a publisher and give the information yes. to get in touch with you. <laughs> you are so awesome. Yeah, that's been that's um so I finished the first draft which took ten years. Ten years, um, with a couple of extended breaks just because for mental health because it was a lot to write. Um but um yeah, so now in the process of or beginning the process of looking for um a literary agent or a publisher or both. <laughs> I mean obviously both, but um definitely on the lookout for that and 
wanted to just put an open invitation for anyone, I mean, everyone who's listening and um, and is interested in, in hearing more about, you know, of course, through by Abahai's Eyes, as well as new works by, um, by Zoe Boston and Kalima as well. Um, just want to put that, you know, put it out there and just say, hey, please come out to the show, anyone, and publishing as well. Um, that, you know, just is finds it interesting at all or just wants to learn more because I feel like seeing the artwork and seeing the writing along with it, it'll say more than any email I can send or any query letter even that, you know, I'm going to, you know, of course, I'm putting it out there in that way as well and I'm putting in the work in that way, but I would love for, for anyone who might be even just a tiny bit um, curious to come and experience the work with the writing and and we'll be there you know of course on Friday um, and the best way to get in touch with me is I'd say through email is um, EID so that's it for Ebony Iman Dallas so EID at Ebony Iman Dallas.com and so that's E-B-O-N-Y I-M-A-N d-a-l-l-a-s dot com um so yeah if anyone you know wants to meet up to discuss or wants to come to the artist talk i'll be there um and i'll also be in the bay for another couple of weeks so so and the show will be up until the 30th Mm -hmm. um but yeah for your question on somaliland and what that was like meeting my family it was more than i could have ever imagined it was better than my, like, I had so many fears, honestly, around it, um, because I didn't, you know, I there weren't any, some hardly any Somalis lived in Oklahoma um, as I was growing up, and actually quite a few of my father's classmates left after he was killed, because they were afraid, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I didn't grow up knowing Somali culture. All that I knew, I had to look up myself. Um, and then, of course, there weren't people there <laughs> to reinforce it or whatever. So um, so I didn't know what they would think of me, like, as this, you know, I'm an artist. Um, you know, I have piercings. <laughs> like, you know, I thought I have a tattoo. Like, I just thought, oh, man, they might just think I'm this crazy, like, you know, crazy artists, American artists, whatever, whatever, whatever. I didn't know what they, how they would perceive me. I didn't know if they would be super um, conservative or, like, I just didn't know. And so my first trip, I remember just just having all these worries about what it was going to be like. And, I mean, when I first saw my aunt, you know, at the airport, it was just, it just faded. So it just faded with every meeting, you know, meeting my grandmother, meeting my little cousins, and, I mean, that was never an issue (laughs) at all, like, all these fears that I had built up, and so it was, I mean, it was like we had known each other forever, Um, and so that first, the very first trip meeting family was in New York, where my Aunt Hibak, um, my Aunt uh, Hinda, as well as my little, I mean, my cousin Uday, they, we met up in New York, and and just had a, had a wonderful time. Um, my next trip after that was the following December. So I went to London where I met my grandmother. 
met some of my aunts and my cousins, tons of cousins and extended family. Um, and then after that, went to Kenya where I met one of my aunts and I met, you know, and her family as well. Um, so a couple of my little cousins and her husband and my my uncle, Wordy, who um, would write my mom letters when I was a kid. So he used to, you know, write her letters. He would send her things. like, And he was only a teenager at the time. So it's just mm-hmm. amazing that he was even that interested. But um, so I always felt a special connection to him because, you know, I always – always had his letters, always felt felt we were in touch in some way, um, and so had the chance to meet him, and it wasn't until, I guess, about a year, a year and a half later that I went to, um, to Somaliland for the first time, and that was, I mean, I'd always wanted to go to the land of my father, and so I, you know, once touched down... <laughs> my uncle was literally standing outside of the airplane, which everyone thought, like, how did he get that close to the airplane? Because it just doesn't happen. It was, um, (laughs) it just doesn't happen. But somehow he made his way literally out onto where the plane landed, and he was there to just snatch me up and help me get through all the customs and all that stuff. Um, And he took me to my grandmother's house, and as soon as we pulled up, you know, they opened the gates, we pulled up, drove up. Um, one person came out. She ran back in, and then the house just uh, people flooded out of the house. Um, my grandmother threw this huge uh, party for me, um, and and so we danced and we ate and we just. I mean, it was just wonderful. It was just coming home and and I just learned so much. Like I learned since then, like they had been looking for me as well. In fact, one of my aunts wrote Oprah looking for me and I was like writing Mm. Oprah looking for her. So, I mean, (laughs) we always wanted to know each other and now we just have that opportunity and it's a bless, huge, huge blessing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So have, um, any of your family, um, come here, um, like to Oklahoma where, you know, that's like your base or, um, you know, has, have people been able to come, you know, go back and forth a little bit in this past um, 15 years? Yes, um, some. So my mm-hmm. my Aunt Hinda, she's the one that I met, you know, one of the aunts that I first met in New York, Um she worked at the time for CDC, so she would come to the United States, you know, at least once a year for a mm-hmm. conference. <clears throat> but um, one of the trips, she actually visited me, visited me in Oakland um, when oh. I lived, you know, when I lived here in Oakland. So she came to visit mm-hmm. my sister and I. And then some crazy. So my 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 little sister, she moved to Southern California to go to UC Riverside. Um, mm-hmm. Back in '08, I think the summer of '08, I believe. In that same summer, my aunt Muna and my little cousins moved from Kenya to um, was it Claremont, which is only 30 minutes from Riverside. The same summer, just but totally unrelated, didn't know each other, were moving. So then they got to have a great, you know, build a great relationship as well. Um, and then I would go down there and get to see them a lot. And now. <laughs> My little cousin, who was only six when I first met her in Nairobi, um, she's now a college student at 
um, UC Santa Cruz. So she mm. she'll actually be at the artist talk. Um, she'll be at the artist talk. She came to the artist opening. I mean, to the show's mm-hmm. opening as well. So that's my little cousin, Maysoon. Um, so proud yeah. of her. She's growing up doing her thing. So yeah, yeah. Some of my family has been able to come and then. Um, Maysoon's mom, so my aunt Muna and my little cousin Mecca Hill, they came because uh, this show it was um, it debuted in Oklahoma last year, and mm-hmm. so um, last year Maysoon's mom and her little brother were able to come to the um, artist talk there during the show. So they did they've had a chance. Um, at least a few of my family members on that side have had a chance to see the show as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're definitely looking at, connected at, <laughs> mm-hmm. at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they think of your art? Since you, you know, you had a body of work, you know, with you, you know, in your person, but also, you know, tangibly, you know, in your, your, your art, your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is they're so very supportive. Like when I lived in Hergesa, because I did. Um, moved there for I was there for about nine months, um, 2011-ish, 2011. Um, so it was not long after African Nation was founded. Uh, we, because African Nation was actually originally founded in Hergesa, as a, mm-hmm. it was, um, you know. Um, but anyhow, so while I was there, <clears throat> we opened an art gallery. Um, we had, you know, lots of art shows, started art classes for kids, did an art supply donation drive. First one was here in the Bay um, some yeah, years ago. Yeah, I remember ago. that. You remember <laughs> the art supply drive? Yes, I sure so do. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we'd send the supplies over, and um, and then lots of professional artists as well as youth were able to utilize those supplies, and they're still, I mean, unfortunately, um not a lot is imported or it's really expensive to import those kinds of items. And even for, you know, it's, it's a challenge for everybody. Um, but, but anyhow, my family has always been supportive of, of me as an artist, um, as well as, as, you know, as someone who's working in the field of the arts, you know, whether it's here or it's, uh, you know, in her geisha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Swanee, so, can I ask you about uh, um, some of the, uh, the 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 pieces that I that I saw um, at the yeah. gallery? <clears throat> yeah, okay. sure. I was wondering if you could tell us about. Um, um, well, I'm over here, but I was going to ask you to go back the other way. But I I think you have a picture, or the anyway the the text talks about your grandmother, and um, I don't remember what the piece is called that the, the text accompanies, but. Um, yeah, it's a really nice story, and and it's uh, showing sort of um, I think multiple generations in in the work. Do you know which one I'm mm-hmm. talking about? Oh, uh, I think I think. Are you talking about the one that uses the, the fabric as well? Oh yeah, London Cairo Hergesa, um, or London Hergesa Cairo. So the title yeah. um, it ref- it go- refers back to the three different places that I've seen my grandmother. Or got to had the oh. chance to visit my grandmother. So the very first mm-hmm. um, first time I saw my grandmother was in London. The second time was in Hergesa, and the third time, or the last time, because I've seen my grandmother many times in between, but just in those same places. Um, and then I saw mm-hmm. her actually the last time was in Cairo, Egypt, 
Um, and so that's that's what that piece is about. And it actually utilizes some of the fabric from one of her dresses, uh, one mm-hmm. of her actual dresses. So it's incorporated into the painting as well. But that piece is inspired by a photograph my, my cousin Udeg took while we were my we were just hang we were just chilling out um at my aunt's house in Cairo and my cousin just kind of saw she captured this moment between us which just says so much like we don't even need words you know um to say what we need to say and we don't always have to be doing something special like we can just sit there and it's fulfilling and so she captured this moment between us and when she showed me the pictures because I didn't even know she was taking them um I was just like yes that I I need to paint that um paint that moment because it just says so much like from the beginning of course uh, language so when I first met my grandmother in London I didn't know hardly I knew maybe a couple of words in Somali and so um, so I really, really wanted to learn Somali so that I could understand the stories that she would tell and and just be able to communicate with my grandmother and to get to know her. But, like, even that time in London when I knew very little Somali, we could communicate without words in ways that, I mean, I couldn't even explain. So my one of my little cousins um, who, um, who was around the bus, he was probably 13, and he was just like, how do you guys understand each other? Like, she just asked you to do something, and you, you're, like, doing it. Like, she's telling me – like, she would tell me in Somali to go to go get something out of the kitchen. I don't, I don't know. Somehow we understood each other, and I would come back with the right item, and he couldn't understand it. So, I mean, that was mainly, like, so that piece kind of captures that. Like, we don't have to always have the words to to understand and know each other. Um, and of course, since then, I've learned so much more Somali. I speak what I call broken Somali because I know it's not perfect, but it, you know, it gets me, gets me around and and everything. But um, but so we can understand each other even verbally now, even more. But mm-hmm. but even before that, we just kind of, it just I don't know, just had this interesting way of of um, of communicating. Mm-hmm. So that piece, that's what yeah. that piece kind of captures. Nice, nice. How how did your grandmother, how is, you know, she's traveling, is she traveling to visit family? Uh, what takes her to these different locations that you visited her, um, you know, three different uh, locations? Well, um, you know, Somali, she... Somali people are nomadic, and just generally speaking, I mean traditionally as well, um, it's known as nomads. So it's you know, it's not a odd for 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 her to go and stay with family for even long periods of times in different places. Um, but she's been in Cairo for probably a couple of at least two years now, um, with one of my aunts. And will be going back to her Gesa. So she has her own house and everything in her Gesa. So, um, you know, hopefully she'll be going back there soon. But mostly to, to see family, to be with family, uh, and and things like that, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Yeah, so family is definitely very important. 
um, mm-hmm. to really all three of my sides, like family, the importance of family has <laughs> just been ingrained in me, and it just comes from all those all those sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking, um, you know, that you know, you um, <clears throat> you know, you're you grew up in Oklahoma City, and we think about Black Wall Street and all of that history there, the wealth, the educated. Um, citizenry, you know, of African descent, and then, um, and then Somaliland, and you know, and your in Hargeisa, and your relatives there, as well as you know, throughout the diasporas, um, you know, Black people, African people are, are all over, um, you know, the planet, and and in particular, your 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 particular story is just representative of that, and I was wondering, um, what is it, you know, what's it like? In Somaliland, um, like, what? How is it for for the people there? Um, are your family, like you mentioned earlier, that your father came to um, Oklahoma City to go to university? And so I was just wondering. And then you, your aunt, you mentioned that she works for CDC, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just wondering. I mean, I don't know if she's a physician or what, but I was just wondering, sort of, um, what. And then I don't know, like your mother and your stepfather. Just wondering, your sister um, is in university here. Um, is that your sister? No, no, your niece or your cousin. Oh, my little cousin. You know, the one who's at yeah. your cousin, right? <laughs> yeah. I was just wondering, sort of, you could just sort of maybe give us a little more context for for your family, and and then I want you to talk about Colonel of Eternity. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, on my, let's see, on my, so on my biological father's side, his father was a businessman and a politician, so he used to be the, um, he was the Minister of Finance for Somalia, before the war Mm. and um so he actually had a chance to visit the united states as a part of a delegation back in the you know back when jfk was in office and he saw how black people were treated here and he told my father not to come because he was just like look you are stubborn you're headstrong he was like they'll kill you and they'll kill you quick Mm. and don't go my father went because as my grandfather said, he's headstrong and stubborn. So he went anyway, which I feel a lot of that, I probably possess some of that (laughs) trait, but anyhow. um, So, so, you know, that was their perception of America, which, you know, unfortunately was, um, was pretty accurate. And on my mother's side, my, so on my mother's side, we have an interesting history. It's sad. I mean, you know, it's you know, the way that we came to Oklahoma was Oklahoma was a part of the Great Migration that doesn't get discussed very much. Um, so my family fled from Kentucky because some of my it was my um so it was my great grandfather, so my great great grandfather um, him and his wife, so my grandmother, they decided to take their children and leave Kentucky because there were threats, um, threats of lynching, and there were direct threats that they wanted to lynch um, a couple of my 
you know, I guess they were my great uncle, great great uncles. Um, and so they fled Kentucky and came to Oklahoma because at the time it wasn't a state and it was a place a lot of black people and natives saw as um, a place of refuge. And so they came here and started their family. Um, and so I have a lot of family in, in Guthrie, Oklahoma, a lot of family in Tulsa um, on my mother's side. And and so, you know, so it's just kind of interesting how how we migrate and why we migrate. And so for my father, he was um, he was a student in India at the time. So he was, you know, going to the University of Pune in India at the time. And he wanted to come to the U.S. One of his, um, some of his friends were going to school in Oklahoma. And so he was just like, hey, I want to, I want to go join them. And so he just left. He just, without my grandfather's blessing, he just left. Um, And then, you know, of course, some years later, he, you know, just as unfortunately my grandfather predicted, he died in the way that he predicted Hmm. Wow, really? Yeah, so I mean, Oklahoma has a crazy, I mean, Oklahoma is an interesting history, an interesting black history that just doesn't get discussed. Mm -hmm. They had some of the most, um, they had most of the, I'm sorry, they had the most black townships as Mm -hmm. from any other state in the United States. And it's just amazing how the numbers of black people just can, you know, people flee, people are still, you know, it was a place of refuge once. And over the years, it hasn't been, it hasn't been that way. And so people move to the Bay or move other places where um, they feel they can get the, the necessary things they need to succeed jobs and and just feeling more free, which is something I felt when I moved here, actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Yeah. 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 I was just looking at at your um, you know these these um, uh, these portraits because um, they all you know the the human figure kind of is real central and 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 you're close enough like you really it's almost like you um. You know how when you're um, editing a photo, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and um, uh, you can um, you can crop it so that you can see more closely the the central um, work in 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 the particular um, photograph or work of art, and it seems like you cropped these pieces so that we can like focus on what you want us to focus on, like like for instance, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kern of Eternity. Looks like the Earth is behind, um, you know, the father with the baby, and that's your father and you, I presume. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the child is sleeping on her father's shoulder, and and the blues, and and it looks like the Earth from outer space, and you know, the the head of the the father, you know, his afro is right at the top of the line, and then it's cropped so that the baby's you know, little slipper is is sort of hitting the bottom along with the father's um, um, uh, forearm. You know, like we don't see his mm-hmm. hand, and then the earth is right behind. Like there's only a little bit of blue, which was really resonates really well, echoing sort of reflecting the blue in the father's shirt and the blue in the baby's 
uh, top. And um, and in this particular one, because of the the artist statement, when we walk in uh, and we see your father with the sunglasses, these glasses we can see his eyes, but well, we can't see the baby's eyes because the baby is sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so that's that's really <laughs> yeah, it's really really cool. And I wow. and I just wonder if you could talk a little about this and how how do you do this because it's mixed media which means you've manipulated things, like you've got the painted image, you've got layers. How, how did you do that in contrast to uh, Redefining Time, you know, the one with you and your grandmother, when you say you use the fabric that you all mm-hmm. had. So it's like, how do you, how do you, how do, you do this? Because, yeah, it, it doesn't look like a painting. <laughs> um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, I think, so with that one, it was, a, it was, very different in that that's a scene that never existed so mm-hmm. you know of course my father he passed when my mother was pregnant so I never met him physically right. um, mm-hmm. so that painting is um, just in a, me imagining what I you know yes I'm so grateful for my father Wayne who raised me like his own and that was a blessing and all of that Um but I still wondered just like what what could it have been like with with um with my biological father, and so I wondered if he would be protective, if he would be um you know what kind of you know father would he have been and so that painting imagines what I wish it would have could have been like, and so in the scene, I'm asleep, resting my head on his shoulder and um, and, you know, of course, being asleep, that shows a huge level of comfort. Um, it shows security, feeling protected. And um, and so in that image, I, I had to search through photographs. So I haven't seen many photographs of my father. Every time I've come across a picture, like I've literally found pictures in different countries, so I, one of my aunts had a, a shot of him, a picture of him in London, and you know, it was an image when he was nine years old. And there was a clear shot of his face, but he was only nine years old in that picture. Mm-hmm. Um, the picture that I grew up seeing um, that you mentioned, he had dark sunglasses on, and so I couldn't really see what his face looked like. I couldn't see his eyes, couldn't see hardly even his nose. Um, so I just had to sort of imagine that. Um, and then years later in Kenya, I met one of my dad's old classmates in India, you know, that went to school with him in India, and he had a picture of him and a bunch of them all together. And so, but still, the picture, his eyes were hidden behind dark glasses. And so it wasn't until 2008 um, I met one of my dad's friends and told me, Go, he told me, you know, go to Langston University. There's a picture of him in the yearbook. And Langston University is um, it's a historically black college in Oklahoma. It's the only one in Oklahoma. And so, mm-hmm. anyway, and that's the first school that my father went to. And so I went there, found the clearest picture I've ever seen of him. And so mm-hmm. I used all of those pictures, um, went in Photoshop, scanned them, um, and created that image. So I took the face of, you know, that clearest shot that I saw of him. I took the body from him in India. I took his <laughs> smile from another picture. I mean, it was just 
it was, you know, because people tell me, you know, he had this gap and like growing up before mm-hmm. I had braces, I had this huge gap in between my teeth. Oh, so I even had his gap yeah, at some African, point. Yes. I had oh, the yeah, gap. The African <laughs> beauty mark, right? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, I had it, but I didn't think it was. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of things that like things like that, like that's something that went from a source of where I used to hate to smile um, now it's a source of pride. It's like, and my mom had a gap too, or has a gap. Oh, wow. But but my dad's mm-hmm. and mine were both really big, um, and so so there's that. And then my eyebrow, like the way it kind of curls up. You know, I remember mm-hmm. just like trying to like doing my eyebrows, and I'm in the mirror, trying to figure out why this one of one side I never had an issue with, like with shaping it, and then the other side. You know, I was just like, what is up with this eyebrow? And so it wasn't until I met my met my aunts and my cousins that I saw, okay, it's a hereditary trait. And I think my dad had it and, you know, my grandfather had it. And so now it's like went from that to being a source of pride. And it's like, no, it's just genetics. <laughs> so just learn That's to be funny. proud of all the things that make you or make make me who I am. So. So that painting just kind of sums all that up. Um, And so I, you know, put it together in Photoshop, tried to make it look as natural as possible, and then Mm -hmm. projected it onto the canvas and, you know, drew it out. And to this day, it's the one image that I've painted or drawn of my father where people say, okay, that's him, like that looks like him. The other ones, I was just trying to figure out what he looked like. And so I would, you know, people would tell me all the time, oh, you have his eyes, you have his nose. Um, And so I would, you know, take the basic image that I had of him, draw that, and then put my eyes and my nose in place, hoping that that's maybe Mm -hmm. what his face actually looked like. But, you know, it wasn't it. Like, people, you know, they were like, oh, you know, it resembles him, but... But this last painting was um, that's on display, and the other ones are on display mm-hmm. as well, some of them. Um, so that mm-hmm. kind of shows that process. But that's the one where people are like, okay, that is him. And so, um, yeah, and then I have the portraits of my mom and my dad beside, you know, so it's all, it's like a triptych. So there's a portrait of my mother um, facing the direction of the painting of my father and I, biological father and I, and then there's a picture of um, my father who raised me as well um, you know that's uh, just on the opposite side and so it's like they're all facing in but you know just just always wanting all my sides to know like you're all a part of me and making me who I am and I'm always going to be proud of that and so um, so that's what those what that piece is about mm-hmm. right yeah yeah well, it's really, really beautiful work, and um, really encourage our audience to, um, you know, to come to the artist talk because then they can ask questions as well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and I and I think you have some really wonderful messages, you know, for for women. And this is uh, the year of the woman at George Gordon Gallery. Um, all this year, every month is featuring women artists, and so you are June 219 uh, featured artists along with the other two wonderful artists um, that are also a part of the show that are going to be at the Artist Talk this Friday, June 21st, from 
7 to 9. Uh, and again, the gallery opens about 10 o'clock, so you can go early and have a chance to walk through before the gallery becomes really full. Those These artist talks are very, very well attended. And if you have any um, insight around publishing, you definitely need to come through and talk to Ebony. <laughs> please, yeah, please but, do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I was just thinking, you know, about some of your beautiful pieces, um, Courage and Flight, uh, Women in War Zones um, uh, series, really beautiful words um, on her body. And and um, and I don't know if um, if you thought about that, that work, which is actually for sale because you have some, um, some work that people can actually take home with them. There's um, MK, uh, um, M- M- MG, um, uh, Stout, um, the artist, an artist who was featured last month, along with um, uh, Pan, Pamela um, uh, Santos uh, out of Brazil. MG lives here in San Francisco. She has a silhouette of her body in the back gallery by George Gordon uh, Mural that Pamela painted, and uh, in the uh, silhouette you can write things uh, because the exhibit was looking at oh, yeah. saying no to domestic violence. And so I was wondering if you thought about that uh, in, in view of your Courage and Flight Women in War Zone series because I think about, you know, yeah. domestic violence and other other situations where uh, where a person, particularly a woman, is not safe as a war, right, as a, as a war zone. And sometimes people get trapped um, and can't can't get out, and so this this particular image, you know, looks like she's a butterfly. <laughs> the mm-hmm. words are, mm-hmm. you know, in the body, and then and you got all these beautiful colors sort of radiating out like like wings um, mm-hmm. behind the, the woman, so she can like, yeah, you can go. You you give her the language in the in the poem, and then uh, or the narrative, and then you know she can actually, you know, sort of levitate and and find her way out of that that space where there's conflict definitely and remembering you know remembering the things that truly make you who you are is something that I definitely try to get a point in that not only in that series but um like you know definitely in that series um but in all the paintings that I've done where people have wings because in those in those paintings it just talks about, you know, yes, we may have experienced something traumatic um, or tragic. So whether it's domestic violence, um, and and then the Women in War Zone series, it dealt with domestic violence. It dealt, <clears throat> it, it dealt with, um, hold on one second. <clears throat> it dealt with um, sexual abuse. It dealt with, you know, the war and this going on in Somalia, war in Syria, and just women's places in those situations. And so it was, you know, it was just basically to say, you know, bad things bad things may happen to us, but it doesn't have to define who we are. So, yes, it's going to shape you, but we can heal from it, but you have to first believe that you can heal from it to begin the process. And so um, for me, like, I, I started out like I would paint people who inspired me. So, that whole series was about strong women, you know, about women who have, you know, had to face different obstacles and major huge challenges, but who fought back. And sometimes, like, I feel like our greatest 
revenge is healing. So it's like something Mm -hmm. absolutely horrible can happen, but it doesn't have to continue to make our path go in a negative direction, which it totally can. It totally can make you spiral, but I feel like going through the process and choosing, okay, I'm not going to allow this to continue to define me. And, you know, a person can do one thing to you one day that can affect you for the rest of your life. Healing is, you know, a person can go to jail. You can send that person to jail. But it's like healing is, I feel, even beyond um, even that jail sentence. You can send someone to jail or whatever, but, like, for you to actually heal says, okay, I'm going to go, I'm choosing to go into a positive direction, even though this situation could totally um, take me in another way. I'm going to make it, I'm going to take whatever this thing is that happened to me and try to remember that, you know, there are other things about myself. You know, there's, this doesn't define me, who I truly am does. And so that's what the butterfly wings are about. It's like reminding you of who you are or trying to remember who you are, um, the things that you enjoy. Um, you know, so it's about that self-care and healing process. But I believe healing starts from the moment you believe that it's possible and you decide to pursue it. Um, and it's not easy, mm-hmm. but <laughs> it's not easy, but but I believe it can be done. So so that's what, what mm-hmm. that series was mainly about, was highlighting those women's stories. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, you've got 13 queens, which is really beautiful. And uh, I define me. I really like this little, 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 little queen, you know. Um, yeah, uh, that's my little In the center niece. of a newspaper. Yeah, oh, that's a little you? Mm-hmm. That's, no, that's my little niece. Oh. Um, my little niece. Oh, McKenna. your little niece. Oh. Yeah, she, she, oh my goodness. So one day she told me that she liked Miley Cyrus and that was, oh my God, around the time Miley Cyrus was popping pills and videos and just being ridiculous, period. And so I was just like, oh no, 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 you need other role models. And so I did that painting to just kind of show her, hey, you are, you don't need those things and those messages to define you. So it's surround, like she's surrounded in that painting by newspaper articles of issues, you know, that talk, discuss issues. Well, it has, um, let's see, it mainly focuses on issues around, um, that affect children. So a lack of funding and education. Um, there's some articles about police brutality, um, and women being paid less than men. So it just, you know, kind of, is, she's like surrounded by all of that. And, but in that she's standing in a stance, like she looks like a little superhero with her hand on her hip and just looks very confident, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> looks very confident. Mm-hmm. And, and what's funny is the, the morning I asked her, I was like, hey, will you model for this painting? And she was like, yeah, I was like, okay, just go pick out an outfit. And, she picked up this shirt with Batman, like it was like a little pink Batman shirt, and I was like, wear that, and so I painted it. <laughs> I just painted her wearing the shirt, and it was just, I don't know, it just kind of came together, but she looks like a little superhero. She is a little superhero. Tall yeah, superhero. Really, now, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, I'm so, so happy that 
you know, some of this work is available and you have different sizes and different prices. So, you know, one one thing is that people should think about, you know, collecting black art, collecting art, you know, of people of African descent. Um uh not just because, you know, it's it's a great way to invest resources, but it's also beauty. You know, you have this art, this work in your home as you can look at and reflect on and every time you look at it it's a different it gets, you know, a different kind of thoughts maybe come to mind or maybe it just becomes a place where you just have some really happy memories because of the work and what it inspires. So, you know, um, I noticed that some of your work is already sold. <laughs> I saw some red mm-hmm. tops. So it's like, Thankfully. oh, wow, Thankful. that was quick. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after, you know, opening night. The sale was like, so that's another thing if you... You know, you go to the opening of shows, then you get first dips. Um, now, you know, at the artist talk, you have to take what's left. <laughs> but uh, but there's a whole lot left, uh, and then they have you yeah, know, the prints from the other series. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for this wonderful extended conversation. Um, yeah, you've given us a whole lot of your time this morning. Really, really appreciated that you had time to just stay on and just, you know, chop it up as we say right (laughs) yeah yeah no I appreciate you for doing what you're doing and amplifying stories like this as well as um, so many others that are important to our community so um, so thank you for all the work that you've done and continue to do Um, because like you said we first met back in I think probably 2008 maybe it's been a while. Yes, it's been a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. and I think you know you told me about this this journey, you know, and um, you know that you were embarking on, you know, to to find your people, you know, yeah. find your dad's people, and uh, wow, and 15 years, like whoa, wow, it flies by, right? That's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah yep, well, it's good it that you, know, you have work work to illustrate the journey, right? Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, like, where, what did I do? But because you have a body of work, you say, well, this is what I did, and this is what I thought, and, you know, so that's yeah. nice. So, yeah, wow, wow. So you're here for um, to the end of the month, and um, mm-hmm. and then you're going back home, or you're going overseas. Uh, what were you doing next? Um, next, I'll I'll go back to Oklahoma. Um, I'm hoping mm-hmm. to get back to her Hergesa <clears throat> sometime in the next few months to see my grandmother. But mm-hmm. um, so I just that's kind of you know just kind of waiting to see. But um, but yeah, so I'll be uh, here for another two weeks. So basically, as long as the artwork is on the walls, that means I'm still here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll be here <laughs> through the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll be here through and the then end the, of the month. Uh, right, yeah. And the other artists who are exhibiting with you, could you give us their names again, please? Yes, Kalima Amilak and Zoe Boston. And they have a series they worked on together called New Works. And so, you know, like you were saying, it's, I mean, beautiful work. Um, I saw Zoe, she had this painting which is on the flyer for their show. So the shows are they're separate, mm-hmm. but they're, you know, they still flow together, like you were saying. Um, mm-hmm. But Zoe had this beautiful, very close-up image of a woman's face in black and white, and then it was around her wall, just these beautiful colors. It almost looked like 
a scene, like an ocean scene. So you had the corals and the turquoise and just all these beautiful colors to contrast that black and white. And, um, and you know, in the work of uh, Camila as well, she did a series of photographs of women, um, of, of black women, who I – you know, I'm I'm really really excited to be on the panel with them and just to talk about talk about our work because it seems like I mean not seems like but it you know I know Joyce you know when she decides who to put in at the same time you know she has a lot of um, a lot of insight into ways that things tie together so I look forward to just us all sitting down and just discussing our work and um, and hearing from the audience as well like that'll be I'm excited to to just have a discussion Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because the work is in conversation um you know with um it's you know the other work so it's really great to be able to Mm -hmm. um to have um you know the creators you know in the room to talk about what their intention was because a lot of times you know your intention is what it is but um you're not quite certain I, I think sometimes you know, sort of what the audience will will take from it. It's probably sometimes um, you're surprised, um, pleasantly surprised, I'm sure, mm-hmm. with um, with you know, sort of what the audience shares, and and I'm sure that you know, and vice versa. You know, um, the experience is deepened for both you as the creator and 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 the audience. You know, for your creation. And does it does it change any like regionally? Like for instance. When people like the read of your work, when you're um, uh, you're traveling, like does it change? Like when it opened, the show opened in Oklahoma, and the show opening here, were there some similarities and differences that you noticed? In the yeah, some of the yeah the simil- I would say the stories that people share after experiencing the show, um, the way that people relate to the work. I've heard just, I mean, like heartbreaking stories, but just ways that people, I mean, everyone comes there with their own experiences and they'll read into it, um, you know, things that maybe I hadn't had in mind, but it's personal to them. So um, a woman, actually two women came up to me from this last opening and said, um, from the current opening, and said that they were both they were adopted. I mean, totally separately, they came up to me and said, mm. you know, they were adopted and had searched for their families, and um, and their experience of finding their family, and just some of the the just almost miraculous moments or the ways that people find each other um, has been really interesting. And then someone else has come up and said you know, that she was, you know, sexually abused by by her father and just kind of talking about finding out that that wasn't her father after so many years. I mean, there's just been so many different ways that people, um, you know, feel a closeness or feel a certain kinship uh, with the experience that I've had. And, and so, and I've felt that and heard those kinds of stories in Oklahoma. I've heard them here. Um you know, and you know this is this is not my intention, but I mean, I've heard people say that they cried when you know reading and you know sometimes reading the the excerpts and then seeing the pieces, and by no means is that my intention, but 
at the same time, I do want people to feel what I was feeling um, when at the time that I was going through it. And so, um, you know, everyone has their takeaways, but that's some of the common things that I've, I've heard and saw is how people's personal stories have related to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really going to be my last question. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Sort of, sort of what, what inspires you? Um, do these stories of, um, uh, of, of, of people that um, are able to, um, to share their experience of your work, does that inspire you? Um, because it seems like, you know, this big journey, um, you know, finding your father, that seems mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what's going to top that, right? I mean, like, what else? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was just sort of wondering um, kind of what inspires you. And um, and, and I, I would think, I would ask what's next. I mean, like, what's on your easel? What's in your studio right now? What are you working on? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, what inspires me are stories of resilience. So mm. it's, you know, whether <clears throat> it's the Women in War Zone series or it's um, an image that I painted right after coming back to the U.S. I think I had just come back after that nine months of being abroad. I came back and found out about Trayvon Martin being killed. And so mm. I did a piece about that um, and and just just the heartbreaking tragedy <clears throat> of that. I, I, I had my little nephew. Um, he was, I think he was about 10 years old at the time. I had him model for me in this green hoodie that I bought him for his birthday. <clears throat> and I remember, like, after I bought him the hoodie, he would wear it every single day. So when I came back and I hear about what's happening, um, I hear about what happened to Trayvon Martin, I was just like, that could be anybody. Like, that could, it could be my little sweet nephew that, you know, he just loves wearing his hoodie. He's not a threat to anybody. Um, and just how heartbreaking that is to think that my sweet little nephew could be gunned down just because of some overzealous vigilante you know whatever else you want to call him like decides that his life is is um you know not really worth much um and so I painted a portrait of my little nephew wearing the hoodie and he's you know he looks like he's so he's peering up so it looks like he's looking at someone that's a lot bigger than him and he has his hands up in that piece. Um, so just different, there's different stories, but what I'm noticing the thread is, is, um, it's around social and political issues. Um, excuse me. Um, that, you know, those are the stories that inspire me, but also sharing tales of resilience to show people like, Hey, we can, we can, we can win. Like we can, we can fight back. We can heal. Um, so I like sharing stories like that because they inspire me to heal. And so I want to mm-hmm. share those stories with others. So hopefully they'll, you know, um, inspire them as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so has, has, um, has, has your soul found peace? That's a great question. <clears throat> um, in some ways, 
yes, but there's still a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. You know, just um, yeah, that's that's a great question. I think in some ways of accepting things about myself that I hadn't quite accepted before um, and just loving myself completely just the way that I am, I feel like I've healed a lot. Like I had, you know, growing up thinking my father committed suicide, I just questioned my own worth in ways that I shouldn't have. And so Mm -hmm. like this whole process of writing and, of um of painting about the situation has helped me to and going to counseling in the process like just figuring mm-hmm. out you know why I <clears throat> have done certain things the way that I've done them in life and um in what ways this situation and others have affected me in just my everyday life um it's you know it's definitely been a process but so I think I've healed. Oh, I've come so far, um, and that's that that final painting that I did. So the painting that's on the flyer reflects that growth. Um, it shows mm-hmm. a lot of things, like it shows the, um, you know, I have all my piercings that I thought my family might think were weird. I have my eyebrow curled up that used to get on my nerves, and I have my my little freckles on my face that I inherited from my mom and. You know, my nails are off-colored, so I have um, one red nail out of all of those. You know, I had, well, the turquoise or teal color, and 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 then there's one red nail, and that just shows the beauty and imperfection and just accepting all the things, whether you, you know, think that they're beautiful or whatever, or not just accepting um, all the things that make you who you are. And that's what I've been painting for years, and I never really saw how it tied back to my myself and my own personal story. But um, when I was working on women in war zones, one of the women that I painted, she suffered from breast cancer for, for many years, and she overcame. And um, and she she actually modeled her scar, so she had a mastectomy, and um and modeled her scar and she just looked so confident and and just so powerful. I really wanted to paint her so I talked to her and the photographer Gay Paisley and, you know, did that painting. But anyhow, so Lori, um I was being interviewed about about that about that body of work and my personal story never came up because it had never come up publicly anyway. But then the gallery owner, my friend Lisa, um, she said, well, Ebony, tell them, like, you know, sort of some of your ties. And so that's when my story came out. And then that's when Lori read it. She was just like, Ebony, you and your mom should be on those walls. Like, all the stuff that you've gone through, like with your father being killed and all that, like, you should be one of these paintings. Mm -hmm. And I never saw myself Mm -hmm. in that way. Like, I didn't see myself as brave. I didn't see myself as is powerful the way that I saw the women that I painted. And so um, so this body of work now through Abahai's eyes, is, it shows a level of growth, um, a huge level of growth, and especially that final painting just kind of wraps it up. So in that way, yes, I found peace within myself in that way. I haven't found peace with what happened to my father, and I'm still trying to learn more about that. Um, so... 
I hope that answers yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, 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 it does. And I want to thank you. Thank you so much, you know, for this really marvelous visit um, on the air and looking forward to seeing you uh, in person, you know, later today. Yes, and, and I was mistaken. The free... The free screening for The Last Black Man was Monday. So, oh, yeah. okay. That's all right. I'll pay for it. <laughs> the I'll pay the, for it. They deserve the, the money. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But that's really nice that they made it available. That's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, my, yeah, I definitely plan on going to see that before I leave town, for mm-hmm. sure. Right. And, and you, you would also really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you would also um, – uh, want to make sure, I don't know, you probably already seen the exhibit, um, uh, what is it, Coffee, Rum, um, Sugar, and Gold, uh, post-colonial um, uh, discussion at the Museum of oh, the wow. African Diaspora. All of the all of the artists, I think there are 10, they're all Caribbean artists, either they're still based there or, or they're from there. And, and the work is so beautiful. Um, one artist, um, she actually um uh makes sculptures from sugar and um wow she was on my radio show um last week yeah she is marvelous and she's going to kill me but i don't have my uh my notes in front of me <laughs> but um okay yeah yeah um but yeah when it's is that? it's just really marvelous mm-hmm. uh at the museum of the african diaspora which is located at uh, mission and third okay. um nice. in san francisco yeah, it's um it's called Moad. Um Oh yeah, uh, Moad, yeah I know Moad. Yeah. Okay. Right, oh, right. Are they having, you said show. they were gonna have a discussion or are they gonna have an um No an Well I kinda think they they're ha- they have had a discussions. Um they're getting ready to have a film oh, series. Okay. But I think I think you might be gone, um, films from the Caribbean. But um Wow. And then awesome. and there's also like when you walk in, uh, American um Artist, he has curated um, dignity images, and so these are. Um, he he worked with some young people at Baycat in Bayview, Hunters Point, um, mm-hmm. and uh, people take images, and some of them they don't share, um, and he calls those dignity images. And so what he did was ask people, you know, to create a dignity image, sort of think about what the dignity image is for them, and and so this um, oh. particular exhibit sort of explores that, and and then there's. Um, uh, Rodney Ewing, um, wow, his exhibit is closing this weekend. Um, it's uh, it's uh, he's an emerging artist it's called Longitude and Latitude, and he always sort of looks at people in place and how place uh, informs uh, a person's history and culture, and and actually the naming of 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 the experience, or actually, I guess maybe validating an experience. Like if you have no place in do you exist? And so um, so he, you know, looks at, you know, um, different kinds of artifacts and how they make um, place have meaning. And so his exhibit is only up through the weekend. It's like, oh, man, didn't get a chance to talk oh, to him. Wow. He is, like, phenomenal. But um, but I was uh, in the in the, uh, the website trying to get the names of these uh Artist and for you, um, the one in particular who paints with sugar, um, and uh, let's see. Oh, here it oh, is. That sounds like I wanted to tell you her like name. Oh, you got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you will really like it, um, just because you know you're an artist. But 
also because it's just so such a fine work and and the brothers who um uh, who who um curated the exhibit one is a new curator to uh, moad but the um the others are the other um curator is um is someone who's curated for moad before and uh this okay. dog on it yeah this exhibit is like so busy um <laughs> can't find just find the exhibit so people are going to have to go to the website um, moadsf.org and check it out a little more slowly because i need to let ebony go because i mean like had her held hostage oh no <laughs> um, it know, wasn't hostage at all i've enjoyed the time uh, okay <laughs> voluntary okay cool yeah it's totally voluntary <laughs> okay, um but thank you thank you so much um for having me and to just taking the time to to go and see the show and I love hearing your feedback it's it's very insightful sometimes when you paint you know I mean like when I paint I'm just I'm in a room mostly by myself um and it's very isolating and sometimes I I do things that it's just in, it's intuitive and so it's nice to hear how people perceive it because a lot of times you know what you're seeing and how you're explaining it you know, it 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 resonates in ways that I would may not have been thinking about when I was in the process of creating. But sometimes you make sub subconscious decisions while you're painting and of course they have mm-hmm. a place that they come from. So hearing someone say that and where they pulled that from is like, Okay, yeah, that is that's true. I just didn't you know, some of the stuff is a conscious thought and some is subconscious. So, so thanks for sharing your your thoughts and perceptions about the work. I appreciate it. Oh, you're quite welcome. Oh, and I and I finally found the artist. Her name is Andrea, uh, or I think it's Andrea or Andrea uh, Chung. Um, she lives in Southern California now, but she's um, she grew up in Texas, and um, she's Jamaican. Um, let me not let me not. Try to remember that part, um, Trinidad. Uh, Trinidad Tobago. I'm not sure. I know they're all from from um, oh, from the Caribbean, but yeah. But I just had her on the air last week, and she's phenomenal. And uh, and I also interviewed uh, Lavar uh, Monroe, who um, he just moved back home um, from living in. Um, I was he in New York. Um, he was here, but now he's back home. So. Um, yeah, it's it's really it's really interesting, you know, sort of being a part of a diaspora, right? And 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 having a home to go to, like right, like you you know, you got you got multiple homes to choose from. Isn't that cool? It is a blessing. <laughs> yeah. You got you got options. Like, oh, I don't like it here anymore. You got places you can go like I think I'll go live in Somaliland. Oh, I think I'll go to Egypt with my grandma. I think I'll go to well, London. T- oh no. <laughs> well, I mean I told actually just the other day I told a friend I feel like I have three homes. I have Oklahoma, I have Somaliland and I have Oakland because in oh, a, I grew yeah. so much here, you know. <laughs> So, like, as far right. as my heart yeah. goes, I'm like, I've got, like, three solid places that my heart is in. And so. mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Yeah, I forgot about the Oakland part. Yeah, Oakland, yeah, definitely uh, formative for you as as a woman and as an artist. 
and as a citizen. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. coming back here is a reunion. Like, I've seen so many, you know, I have so, you know, good friends that I've uh, had over the years, and my family. I have quite Mm -hmm. a bit of family in the Bay as well, so it's been, you know, the opening night was like a reunion. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, you have a good um, rest of the morning. What's left of it? And uh, <laughs> and look forward to seeing you this evening. And let me just uh, tell you one more thing that's happening um, at the uh, Berkeley Art Museum Pacific Film Archive. This is really wonderful exhibit there. Presently, it's called About Things Loved, Blackness, and Belonging, and it's up through July twenty mm. first. And so today. Um, there's a screening and a discussion called Welcome to the Neighborhood. It's a Juneteenth screening, and it's um, uh, Mildred Howard uh, is going to be in discussion. Um, uh, she has work in About Things Loved, Black and Belonging. Uh, she's going to be in uh, discussion with uh, uh, Lee Rayford, who is a, um, a UC Berkeley Associate Professor of African American Studies, and Lawrence uh, Rinder. Um, BAM PFA director and chief curator, and the movie, the 30-minute film um, by uh, director Pam Uzo, explores Mildred Howard's long family roots in the Bay Area and the impact Mm -hmm. of gentrification on local residents. Her mother, Mabel Howard, moved to San Francisco during World War II and became a part of the growing community of African Americans in South Berkeley, where she spearheaded many significant political and community projects. And today... Mildred Howard, who is famous, she can't afford to live in this community anymore. Uh, wow! You know, because she's been priced out. And in her her piece in this wonderful exhibit that was curated by Lee uh, Rayford's students and another another um, her, her a co uh, another another professor, um, she has her house that's made out of knives and. Um, and um and pots and and the house sort of speaks to um being trapped in in domestic violence and it's a, mm. if you can it's like you don't walk in it but you could cuz it's big it's big and mm. and there are knives in the walls it's it's amazing oh my god it's wow it's absolutely amazing so you don't want to miss this exhibit either it'll be up you know so you got a few things moad and this one there might be some other stuff, um, other other exhibits. I'm sure oh, there are. Oh, it's so much. But these, it's wonderful. But, but these two, you will really like. You don't want to miss these because, um, I'm sure they'll resonate with you as as a woman, uh, as an African artist, um, and uh, yeah, just in you know, in a person whose work sort of is in this conversation. You know, you do work like this. Your work speaks oh, to people like this. Work yeah. speaks to folks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know about that. <laughs> Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And that's what I love about coming to the Bay because, man, there's been so many amazing things going on since I've been here. And mm-hmm. just trying to do as much as I can while I'm here. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so thanks for sharing those. Oh, you're quite welcome. All righty. So I'm going to end with a pre-recorded uh, interview with um, – uh, uh, oh yeah, Fumi me, Fumi K uh, Ogunlano. She is the woman who played Mona in um, uh, in Sankofa, uh, the film directed by Holly Jarima. So we're gonna go out with this interview that I did. Um, gosh, in 2012, April 2012.
as well when she was in town uh, for yeah. the 25th, I think, anniversary of the film or something like that. Um, wow. Yeah, so anyway. <laughs> okay. well, have a beautiful well, day. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Oh, you're quite welcome. Look forward to seeing you this evening and definitely on Friday at your talk. I'm really looking forward to it. Perfect. I'm looking forward to it as well. I'll see you. See you in a few hours. <laughs> All right. Peace and blessings. Okay. Thank you. All right. Peace and you blessings. Too. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> so I had this really wonderful interview with um, Oyafumi Kay. She was staying with Ia Nedra and... Um, and uh yeah, it was just a really wonderful conversation. We were just I think um I'm trying to remember did I get the reading before or after, but we were just talking and uh so I'm just gonna just play this. I haven't listened to it for a long time and but it was really enlightening. She was talking about the making of the film and she was also talking about what she's up to now. So I want to say your name for me. Oh yeah, Fumi K Oyafumike Ogunlana. Ogunlana. What does that mean? Oyafumike, um, Oya is one of the Yoruba deities, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm a priestess of Oya, so mm-hmm. my name starts with Oya. Fumike means bring, brings me to be petted or cared for. Mm-hmm. So Oya, the goddess, mm-hmm. brings me to be cared for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oya, I remember after Hurricane Katrina, something in New Orleans, uh-huh. that, um, I don't know if I knew Oya before Hurricane Katrina, but I definitely sort of started <laughs> really vibing with her, uh-huh. <laughs> because um, I like uh, Gede, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I'm like a real kind of cemetery person, yeah. um, I just love hanging out <laughs> in the cemetery, and then I heard about Sama about Oya, that she is the guardian of the cemetery, but she also is like the winds and the storms, and she like doesn't take any stuff. And she's like, oh my gosh, she sounds yeah. so cool. Change and transformation. Yeah, is, you know yeah. exactly what happens when the hurricane comes. Mm-hmm. Everything is new and changed down there. That's for sure. Right, right, yeah. And as people of African descent, you know, we're always like in flux like that, mm-hmm. which is kind of messed up because no one seems to want to leave us alone. You know, we're being invaded, we're being sold, we're being kidnapped. We're being um, disappeared, mm-hmm. you know, in a variety of ways. Yeah. After we're of quote no more use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Why don't you could talk about um, your um, your journey? Because uh, Sankofa is a journey, mm-hmm. and and then we think about um, thinking about uh, Dr. Marimaani. You know, Sankofa is a part of. You know, we have the Maafa, we have Sankofa, and we have a Yarisa. Mm-hmm. So why don't you could sort of talk about just that. Um, the metaphor uh, of Sankofa as your life and your character, Mona, and then mm-hmm. um, Shola. <clears throat> well, it was a project that I worked on for nine years. Mm. <laughs> That's a long time. Yeah, a whole long time. <laughs> when I first uh, auditioned, I got three lines, and I was a character named Salome, who okay. never even made it to the final movie. Oh. Rosalind Cash was supposed to play Shola, the yeah. character that I finally played. Mm-hmm. But I was in D.C. rehearsing, writing scripts, uh, doing spiritual work, and Rosalind was in L.A. So after about three years of me standing in for Rosalind, mm-hmm. it got just got to be my part, and it got to be pretty obvious that nobody could play it but me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I always say I stole the role. <laughs> In that nine years, we were rehearsing at Howard University a lot, out mm-hmm. in Rock Creek Park, mm-hmm. 
you know, anywhere we could auditioning other actors and developing the script. My daughter actually, you know, remembers sleeping on a pile of coats in Howard's <laughs> theater department many and many a night as I rehearsed. Mm-hmm. And it got so bad, my friends were teasing me. I was like, oh, you you still making that movie? Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but it finally came out, and of course, nobody knew that it was going to do what it did. Really? Uh, we really? had no idea. But there was no movie like that movie uh, we prior had to no. that. <laughs> that really? About 19 years later, yeah. as I look back, if I had known what this movie was going to do, I'd have been documenting every step of the journey. Right. <laughs> no know? one did anything like that? No, not really. Oh, okay. Because you know how Spike Lee documents his work and mm-hmm. comes out with the making of, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Really? So now, was, I've got some things I could piece together Yeah. and do, you know, something with that, pictures and other things, memories, yeah. and do my own version of the making of, but, mm-hmm. you know, this hindsight is always 2020 vision. Mm-hmm. Had I known that it was going to be the classic that it is, yeah. I would have had a lot more stuff. Yeah, because we think about Sankofa, we think about Quilombo, we think about uh, Mapensula, which mm-hmm. is not as well known, but mm-hmm. I think it's a similar kind of story. Yeah. Um, told from a female director, um, spiritual woman's perspective, but I think it's a similar story. And, and it's more said in Africa than mm-hmm. um, than Sankofa, which is our journey. Yeah. But, um, hmm, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, there was a lot of sacrifice that went into this nine years, right? Yeah, a whole lot. Yeah, because I, I was reading that you were reimbursed for all of your travel, um to make the film, and then and then when the film was on the road, sort of having the screenings, you got reimbursed for all of that. But really, it was like your gift to the community because financially you didn't make any money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Although the film has made money. The film has made a lot of money. Yeah, and yeah, you can't get it free. You know, you were, you were talking <laughs> to me about forgiveness. Exactly. And that's my big piece. I'm trying to forgive highly for not sharing the profits like you promised mm-hmm. uh, that entire nine years. Oh, my sister, this movie does well. You know, I'm going to take care of you, my sister. (laughs) And I listened to that crap and uh, was in Jamaica getting ready to shoot the first scene. Mm -hmm. Had all my makeup. He had my ticket and my passport in his possession. Mm -hmm. And he put this contract in front of me. And I'm like, that's not what we agreed to. Oh, just sign it. You'll never see it again. So I did, you know, I'm ready to start filming, and like I said, I had no idea that the movie was going to do what it did. So, you know, I'm still working on that forgiveness piece. I still have this vision, you know, next year is our 20th anniversary. So I see this big gala event where he gives us all checks, (laughs) you know, even Nunu's children, her descendants, because I really feel like if she had had her money, and been able to get proper medical care, she'd mm-hmm. still be here. Who's Nuna? The woman that played Nuna, Alexandra Dwarf. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. She's been dead about five years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Every yeah. time she saw him, she would beg, beg, beg for her money. Oh, wow. That's a, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, so, uh, as you were... Um, you know, on this nine-year journey, you're also having a sort of a simultaneous journey, I believe, um, around your spiritual mm-hmm. development. And yeah. I was wondering if you could talk about sort of the intersection of 
your spiritual <laughs> awakening and the movie, the film, and and what that did for your character uh, mm-hmm. development of Mona and then uh, Shola. Well, by the time I did Sankofa, I'd actually been a priestess for 12 years. Okay. So I was well on my way to my spiritual journey. Nice. I actually think I was chosen by the ancestors to play that role mm-hmm. because I am an actress and a priestess. Mm-hmm. And in those rape scenes, I actually went to a corner and pounded my stick and called all the female ancestors who had ever been raped mm-hmm. to come and help me film those scenes. And I don't even remember filming them. Mm-hmm. I look at them now and I'm crying and snot is running out my nose and mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. that's really good. <laughs> yeah. But I don't remember filming mm-hmm. them. It's actually, the one thing I do remember is one time my head actually did clunk on a cobblestone rock. I mean, really hard. It's a good thing I have a hard head. Mm-hmm. But you see it, it's in the movie. And you yeah. hear, the, you know, my head hit the rock. Yeah. And I remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, I don't I remember filming those scenes. Um, mm-hmm. When I first got to Ghana, I just refused to go into that castle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and you talk about how your ancestors were talking to you. That's kind of cool. Because <laughs> he finally forced me to go ahead after about 10 days. And I felt like I was going to throw up. So I ran to where the the ledge where the cannons were. Yes. And I actually felt them grab me in the back of my neck. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody here has been cast by us. You are here to do a job. You have to tell our story. Mm-hmm. You better get yourself together. <laughs> and then when they let me go, they said, you will be protected. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ganaba, the man who played Sankofa, the drummer, right. uh, came onto the set. He was a hermit. I mean, we were so lucky mm-hmm. that he decided. He decided, when he was asked, he first said no. Mm-hmm. But then he said, well, I want it done right. So yeah. he came out to do it for us. Immediately fell in love with me. Stayed the whole week I had to film. Mm-hmm. And every time I had to go in that dungeon,